Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here tonight with Dr. Michael Elman of Baltimore, Maryland, a distinguished retina specialist and an expert on preferential hyperacuity perimetry for the detection of neovascular AMD. Welcome to Retina Synthesis, Michael. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you, Carmen. You uh, gave a paper at the American Society of Retinas uh, specialist meeting that was very well received about the NOTEL 4C system. Can you tell us a little bit about the technology and what it involves? Uh, it's it's basically PHP. Uh, I'm not really on the level to give you the uh, the engineering background, but it's a technology that's been around for a number of years. They originally had a machine that tested uh, PHP. It's sort of like a a visual field on steroid that may may be the best way to understand it simplistically. Uh, but the beauty of this machine is that it can be done at home and that it's then sent to a, a center that monitors it and compares all of the tests from the beginning of time when the patient started using the machine and can predict uh, a level of uh, uh, that would trigger an alert, uh, saying that this is not just standard variation within the testing, uh, anytime you have a, a test that involves a patient pushing a button, whether it's a PHP or whether it's a visual field, there can be fluctuation that can be expected in the test. But here they're very confident that this is uh, beyond what uh, one would see uh, with just a variation. And that would, that's what we would call an alert. Uh, there's a change. There's, it's not just one isolated reading, but multiple readings that are sloping above that uh, magic line where we would be contacted by the uh, the center, so it's it's just not the it's not the machine alone. It's the machine in, in with the the monitoring uh, with the center, uh, and then you add the third leg, and that would be the physician. We still have a role. We haven't been re replaced by machines, and uh, this helps make our job a little easier. Monitoring the patient it provides a a wonderful safety net uh, beyond what they normally would do in terms of monitoring their visual acuity, which often is nothing. So this is a 10-year retrospective study. Can you tell us about it? So it's, it's a 10-year study that involved five major centers that uh, really commit to have a lot of their patients followed with this technology. Uh, the, uh, it involved uh, uh, about uh, 2,000 odd patients, over 3,000 eyes, 10,000 plus monitoring years, whatever that would really be, a million plus tests, a lot of testing and a lot of patients uh, over 10 years. And the beauty is that we have 10-year follow-up. So we actually can see what this does in the real world. It's one thing to do a study. We were involved in the home study, which brought this technology, it validated it uh, according to, uh, uh, to, in comparison to anything else that we were using. For example, the AMS are great. It blew it out of the water, but that's in a controlled clinical trial. Does it work in your office? Does it work in my office? And the answer unequivocally is that, yes, it does. It saves vision in the patients who are on this test. So in the study, as I understand it, uh, something like 280 eyes converted and half of those were detected solely by the system. Correct. It's not just the system alone. Really, it you, you patients can come in with other symptoms. It's not that the system beats them every time. But you have a lot of patients who come in and uh, detected later on, and you say, what happened to them? Why didn't they have symptoms? Why didn't they notice it? Uh, and it's that group of patients that this uh, really saves. 
So if you look at it and, and uh, overall, what the machine does is picks up disease much earlier than we normally would pick it up. But it's not the exclusive answer. It's this machine or nothing else. It's this machine in addition to anything else that we monitor, be it patient symptoms, they call our office and say, you know, I think maybe there's some blurriness. We happen to see them on exam and we suspect there might be some fluid there. Uh, so it's not meant to replace anything. It's meant to augment what we're doing in, in the field. And I think that really describes its power. And uh, it, it, in your own experience, uh, patients, this is far better than an Amsler grid. Oh my God, absolutely. Uh, the way I describe it to patients is that uh, if you had to have a heart attack, when would you want your symptoms to be discovered? When you had crushing chest pain in the emergency room or have some type of technology that would pick up the heart disease before you had the crushing chest pain, before you went to the emergency room. And in the home study and in many of the cases here, patients had an alert and they had no symptoms. I've had patients that were seen in my office a week before. They were totally dry on examination. Vision was excellent. They had no symptoms. And a week later, the machine goes off and we call them and say, come on in. Say, what do you mean? You were just, we were just in your office. I don't see any difference in, in what's going on. And they come in and we take a look and lo and behold, there is fluid on the OCT and the vision may have changed incrementally, may not have changed but it's clear they now have developed a neovascular membrane that requires treatment. While the membrane is small, while the vision is still excellent, those are the best patients to treat. Those are the ones that do the best and retain the vision long-term. So uh, what percent of patients in your practice use this uh, system? I would say at least 50%. Um, there are several caveats. Number one is that uh, Medicare will cover it with secondary insurances. Those who are on commercial, uh, it's still a problem. And getting this, uh, even, they consider it, uh, they don't want to cover it. They want the patient to pay for it. I don't have to tell you insurance companies don't have to be too creative to say, we're not going to pay for it too bad. And it's not just in this technology. It's in a lot of things that we do. Uh, but that's a more, it's a, it's a much bigger problem than just this machine. Uh, there are also other uh, uh, factors. Uh, not every patient who is put on the machine uh, can establish a, a baseline. So that can be a problem uh, in those patients. And so we can't use that technology. And when we started out, there were a number of the elderly patients who did not use a computer mouse. Now, as we age into that patient demographic, mm -hmm. unfortunately, the, the patients, our peers, are uh, very familiar with using this technology. They can use a computer, they know how to use a mouse. And so that no longer is the problem that it was 10 or even 15 years ago. That's wonderful. So um, how often do patients uh, use the system? We would like them to use the system at least four times a week. The data in the home study show that that is really a major cut point in increasing the power of the system to detect the disease that needs to be treated. Ideally, they should do it every day. I don't have to tell you, very few patients are compulsive enough to do it every day. So we negotiate, if they do it four times a week, we're fine. And the beauty is that when you ask the patient, uh, are you using the technology? Let's take the answer grid, are you monitoring your vision? Yes, and then you look at the wife and she's shaking her head, no, he's not doing anything. Uh, he thinks he's doing it every day. He's not doing it maybe once a week. There's no way to verify independently. Here we are able to show them in real time, all of the tests they've had, uh, uh, basically a printout on the computer screen, which I do with every patient who's on the device. Here's how you're doing, you're doing a great job keep it up. Uh, you're doing it uh, 
two to half times a week, two to three times a week. We need you to bump that up to four times a week. So the only excuse they can say is, well, I'm doing it more often, but there must be some problem. I said, well, it's, it's a machine. It can have problems. Call the company. It's not going to lose the data. And sometimes they're right. But other times they're just giving an excuse to save face. And there's no way for them to hide. We know whether they're compliant. We were able to see it. They see that we're monitoring. They see that it is important to the physician. And if it's important to us, it means it should be important to them. What was the percent conversion rate of, of these eyes? The uh, percent conversion rate, um, the annual rate was 2.7. Does the uh, center send a message to the ophthalmologist's office and let them know that a, an abnormality has been detected? Yes. So what happens is the patient monitors, the, does the machine, does the test, let's say every day. And that test, the test results are automatically uploaded to the cloud. By, and the center, I guess, artificial intelligence analyzes it. And when there is an alert, uh, we get a phone call. And we then call the patient and tell the patient we've received an alert. We need you to come in as soon as possible within the next few days so that we can examine you and see whether or not you've converted to neovascularization uh, or not. And interestingly, what we found out, not in this study, but independently, which I reported uh, <clears throat> earlier in the year, we used to think that uh, an alert where there was no conversion was a false alert. It was a false positive. And maybe the machine is calibrated so that we would rather have some false positives, which fortunately are not that common. So they were calibrated not to miss something. Uh, that's not the case. It turns out that when you look at the patients who developed an alert and did not show neovascularization right away and follow them over two years, they have a four times greater mm. chance of converting to neovascularization. So maybe the technology is much more sensitive than our ability to detect uh, neovascularization and it's lurking and we just can't see it clinically. We can't see it with the OCT or with angiography, whatever means we're using. And then it, 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 it eventually uh, unmasks itself and presents. That presents another interesting uh, uh, group of patients because now we have a group of patients which we can say are really the highest, uh, the highest uh, at risk. And perhaps those patients should be put in a trial of uh, the anti-VEGF du jour, whichever you want, now they're longer lasting ones. Uh, and see if giving an injection uh, every three or four months uh, would uh, prevent neovascularization from developing in this highest mm. group at risk. Now, it didn't work. I did this with Clem Chan uh, with Lucentis, and uh, we had a it was a small group of patients, and it was disappointing. But we gave a Lucentis injection once every three months or three four months. So how long is that going to stay in the eye? We're here. We have new drugs. We have ferisumab. You have the whatever's going to happen with the, the stronger ILEA if that ever comes to market, uh, that's going to last a lot longer. It's more durable. And uh, I'm just, I'm posing the question. I'm hoping someday we'll be able to do that study and answer the question. But we now know these, this machine can identify a group of very high risk eyes that need to be monitored closely. So I tell the, the, the patients coming with an alert, it's great. I don't have to give you a shot today, but we got to watch you very closely because this eye is at even greater risk now that you've had an alert. Do you primarily deploy this system in patients whose first eye has been treated? And all patients who are at risk. So if you look back at the ARADS uh, studies, 
Group three were those that had the one large druse. That's actually what you needed to get in the study, uh, greater than a vein width and size. Those are the ones who are in vitamins. So wherever you put on vitamins, those are considered higher risk. And those are the ones who get the machine. Clearly, those who've had uh, neovascularization in one eye, and they're at the greatest risk to develop this, uh, uh, the neovascularization in the second eye, 50 to 70% within a couple of years. So we really would want them to have it. And you'd say, well, you know, they're already lost vision in one eye. For sure, they're going to be able to identify the uh, you know, symptoms mm. in the other eye. You know, as well as I do, that just doesn't happen in real life. No, The brain adapts. And how do they not notice it? Because they got used to the blurry vision. And here the machine will pick it up. Well, this is fantastic. Thanks so much for your pioneering work and for the follow through on this. Uh, this is something that definitely should have a role in the management of patients with age-related maculopathy. Well, we hope it will spread, and, and I can tell you it has really added to the patient satisfaction, certainly improved the results. We have 10 years where the patients converted. They were 2040 when we picked them up compared to the iris data, where they are an average 2080, so we're picking up with much better vision. And they got maybe five, six injections a year, and at 10 years, 10 years, they kept the 2040 vision. You don't see that in the long-term studies. We get great results for two or three years at the end of edge treatment. And then they fall off the wagon and they go back to where they were, if not worse. Here you can keep great vision, driving vision, functional vision for 10 years. I think that more than anything speaks for the, the power and the utility of this uh, technology. Well, thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you for inviting and glad to see you again.